Okay. Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, we will get that sound fixed here in a moment, but uh, we're here on our last week of this Who We Are class, and you are enjoying our new chairs right here. Uh, thumbs up, thumbs down. How, how are you feeling so far? They get, they, they will soften up just a little bit. I've been told, um, and uh, and it's okay. I've been I've been warned that. Um, I'm going to have to be a bit more engaging so that people don't fall asleep, but at, hidden inside of each cushion is a special detector that can tell when someone's fallen asleep and will deliver an electric shock uh, directly to their posterior. So we're going to be just fine. No one's going to fall asleep. Um, but we are here on our last last week of, of this About Us class as we get down to the present time. And um, we're going to... I don't have the, the ability of... Um, saving material for the following week, which I've done several times throughout, throughout these past few weeks. So I'm going to try to just motor through. Um, you can ask me for my notes or you can watch it online if you miss anything. And then, um, and then if we've got time at the end, we can maybe go back and review some things or uh, hopefully some time for Q&A. But let's, let's pray, let's ask for God's help, and then let's, let's jump in. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the chance to gather here and for these past few weeks to think about history, to think about your story and what you've been doing in your people over the past several hundred and and, and even thousands of years. And I'm asking this morning as we get down to the present time and our place in it, that you would open our minds and our hearts to you and to consider what you might have us do at our moment in history today. And I ask this for Jesus' sake, and for his, in his name, and for his glory. Amen. Okay, so we want to pick up where we left off last week. Last week we were talking about the modern evangelical movement. Evangelical comes from the word evangel, which means... Someone, anyone? Gospel. Means gospel, which means... Someone, anyone? Good news. Gospel means good news. So even evangelicals or evangelicals are, are gospel people. That's, that's what the word means. The words first was used, it actually was used in the, in the German Lutheran context a little bit to refer more to uh, the Reformation doctrine. That's not typically how, we, how most people use it. Uh, the word started to be used in the way we use it or in the, seven, in the revivals of the 1700s to refer to people who were about the gospel, who preached the gospel, who taught the gospel. They didn't assume that everyone knew the gospel or understood the gospel. They were gospel people and they believed that we had to have a, a personal encounter with the gospel. And um, one historian, uh, uh, Bebbington is, 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 is his last name, uh, has, has looked over history and he's, he's defined evangelicals or evangelicalism as, as Christians who, who sort of have four characteristics about them. Uh, they hold the primacy of scripture. Uh, so biblicism is, is maybe the, the phrase he'd use, the primacy of scripture. Two is the centrality of the cross. So Jesus dying on the cross is, is a central uh, piece in their understanding of, of the gospel. Uh, third is the importance of being born again, so that you have a personal encounter with the gospel. It's not assumed that you're a Christian just because, again, you grew up in a in a church or were baptized as, as a baby. And and then number four, um, there's there's a, a, a belief in activism, and and that doesn't mean political activism. That just means that we have a, a responsibility and a and a privilege to play a part in God's mission in in the world. And so those four things are, are one way is that 
that some historians or theologians talk about what are evangelicals. Uh, they, don't necess- they don't always look at, at the, well, are they 1700s evangelicals or 1950s evangelicals? They just say centrality of the Bible, centrality of the cross, being born again and playing an active role. Um, now, the problem with just that is that there are um, Roman Catholics who meet that definition. And we might say, well, I'm not sure they're really evangelicals. So, um, but, but it's one way of considering what an evangelical is. And one of the things we saw last week was that there was this evangelical resurgence in the 1950s. And, and these, these evangelicals were gladly standing in the historical line of, of, of past evangelicals. They were gospel people. But they had a particular posture. They didn't want to be like the fundamentalists. They didn't want to argue and fight and, and, and have, you know, be uh, closed off. And, and uh, they, they wanted to be engaged in, with the world. But that often led to them um, seeking the world's approval, right? We saw this last week. If you want the world's approval, you need to be approvable by the world. And so that very often led to compromises in faith and in practice. And those actually started very, very, very quickly. Um, now, now, that wasn't uh, the end of the story, thankfully. So one of the very interesting things that happened, so this new evangelical movement, they wanted a seminary, so they started Fuller Seminary. And within a decade, Fuller Seminary had fallen into this big debate, and, and actually they lost <laughs> quite, quite stunningly um, over whether Scripture is inerrant or not, whether, whether God's Word has, has errors or not. And so Fuller Seminary doesn't believe that, that God's word is inerrant, that the Bible is, is without error. And that started the, the, quite a big controversy within broader evangelicalism over inerrancy. So you see, right away, you had people arguing over how much are we going to accommodate? How much are we going to try and be buddy-buddies with the liberals? Because to the liberals and to the world, the idea of the Bible being inerrant is like stupid. They laugh at that. Um, but many evangelicals fought back. Uh, the, the battle for the Bible really took up a, a chunk of those decades. Uh, and actually the title of a really excellent book um, what was very interesting in that whole battle for the Bible and the battle for inerrancy is that you had some of the, the reform guys, like R.C. Sproul, for example, who they were more connected to the... Remember we talked about Westminster Seminary, those reform guys who... They fought, with the, they fought with the liberals, but they weren't fundamentalists. They were like Westminster Confession reform guys. They kind of stepped into the mainstream of the evangelical movement as they partnered with their other... Um, evangelical brothers and sisters on this area of, of inerrancy. So I, I want to spend more time talking about that. In, in 1980-81, uh, you had the International Council for Biblical Inerrancy came out with a really important document. And if you look at some of the names on that list, you see like um, Dallas Seminary Dispensationalists and, and Westminster Confession Reform guys working together. And it's, it was really positive as they were united around their belief in the inerrancy of Scripture. From that point on, it's been practically assumed that if you're an evangelical, if you call yourself an evangelical, you believe that Scripture is inerrant. That's just one of the things we assume but it's dangerous to assume that because I, we could talk about all kinds of places where that belief has been attacked and assaulted and compromised and is under compromise um, in, in, in many places in the world today. I've been in a seminary, <clears throat> in a, an evangelical seminary, had a professor teach on this and say, so is inerrancy important or not? Well, I'll leave that up to you to decide. So 
you know, we can't assume this. And I think that's one of the lessons from history. What we assume, uh, we soon forget. So, so we really want to be, be careful. Um, but if we look at this whole... Um, so, so even though there were some big victories, inerrancy was one of them, um, over the last 70 years, many evangelicals have deliberately adopted a spirit of accommodation where they're trying to win the world's approval um, and even win uh, immature Christians' approval. And that has often resulted in, in this situation <clears throat> where you have churches and institutions that believe one thing on paper but practice an entirely different thing in, in their actual ministry. That's, and and that, that's a situation that, that we need to really identify because you can go to any number of evangelical churches, evangelical institutions today, and you can look up their statement of faith, what they say they believe, and it looks two thumbs up. It looks awesome. But if you were to actually drop in on that church or that institution you would have no idea that they believed all those things because the way they actually do ministry is not shaped by what they believe. And so you've got, we've, they formally affirm these things, but practically deny them. And so an example would be a church that in their statement of faith might say that what they believe about God and he's worthy of glory and praise and <clears throat> we believe people have fallen into sin and need to be saved. But when you actually drop in on their church service, they would, you would think that they believe that you know, God is some uh, nice uh, Santa Claus and people are basically good and they just need to be entertained so that they put money in the offering plate. You, you know what I'm saying? So there's this huge difference between what they say they believe and what, actually, and what they actually practice. This is a passion of mine, uh, in, by the way, and, and this is one of the reasons why we're, um, why we're doing this, uh, this five-minute chunk in our services over the past few months um, where we're looking at how what we do is connected to what we believe. Because you just can't assume that. And, and sadly, in many evangelical churches and institutions, what they believe on paper is, is quite divorced from what they actually do. What they do is more defined by meeting people's needs and, 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 and entertaining people and accommodating people. And, and the desire to be relevant... <clears throat> often left evangelical churches almost humorously hopping from, from one fad to the next. And I mean, yeah, we could talk about that for a little bit, right? The whole church in a box thing where you, you'd go, oh, it's the latest thing. And so you get your thing and they'd have your sermon series lined up for the next little bit and all the everything. And, it's, and, and, and church is just fad hopping from one thing to the next, trying to, trying to do what's going to work and being built on uh, building their ministries on, on, on a desire to grow numerically at any cost and being successful and being respectable. And, and sadly, the truth, they never deny the truth, but the truth stays gathering dust in a closet somewhere. So um, where were Baptist churches in all of this? Well, they were in all of this. Um, there were Baptist churches. If, if we go back to last week and talk about the liberals and the fundamentalists and evangelicals, and there were, there were Baptist churches that became fully liberal. Thank you. There were Baptist churches that were fully fundamentalist. We talked about this last week. That, In fact, when we think about fundamentalist churches, we probably think about Baptist churches. Um, there were Baptist churches that remained evangelical in the old sense of the word. Uh, if you go to England, for example, by the way, and you look up uh, Reformed Baptist churches, there's a whole bunch of them. And, and these churches, from my impression um, of their websites, which 
granted is is not a great impression. So if any of you have more information on this and want to correct me, but my information, uh, my, my sense from their websites is they're doing their best to not change anything from 1750 onwards, right? So everything about them, it's, it's almost, their churches are almost like a time machine. Now, I'm not saying that's bad or good. I'm just saying that's what it is. You've got Baptist churches in, in the whole spectrum. And then there were Baptist churches that found themselves in this new evangelical movement. Uh, some more faithfully, some less faithfully. And, uh, and then in the past several decades, you've had um, numbers of Baptists and, and Baptist churches who have been rediscovering historic Baptist roots. This is one of the things that happened throughout the 1800s. Is a lot of Baptist churches got cut off from, from their historic roots and forgot where they came from and what they actually were about. And in the last few decades, you've had a number of, of these Baptists discovering historic Baptist roots going back to the biblical principles and convictions that first shaped the Baptist movement about 400 years ago. This isn't in my notes. I'm taking a risk here, but I'm going to comment on this. Um, many of, 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 of you who are around my age are going to be familiar with this, that, that probably 20 years ago or so, there was a, a large movement of, of people who were our age who were getting sick and tired of how shallow evangelicalism was and how shallow evangelical churches were and they were sick of 40 days of this and 50 days of that and all the all the fads and and all the shallow man-centered preaching and everything and they went off looking for something a little bit more authentic and that led many evangelicals my age uh when back when i was in my in my uh late teens early 20s to shuffle off towards the Eastern Orthodox Church, towards the Roman Catholic Church, many to the Anglican Church, as they were looking for something that felt more real and historic and awe-inspiring and reverential than the silly um, you know, tent and sideshow comedy act that they were seeing on, sun- on Sunday mornings. Seriously, many churches right, were, were shaping how they would preach sermons and, and how they would do their announcements after, after primetime comedy. Okay? Like that, that's where many evangelicals got to. So you had many of these people. Uh, that, this is where kind of the emerging church movement came in, as you had guys trying to go ancient future and rediscover these practices, and they thought that doing prayer labyrinths and lighting candles was, was you know, this more authentic vision of, of Christianity and spirituality. And, and I was in the middle of all of that. I remember at 17, 18, I was sick and tired of, of just this shallow evangelical world that I was in. And, and, I was, and I was sick and tired of pastors who thought that it was their job to entertain people and, and keep them warmed and fed instead of actually, well, and actually fed is not the right word there. When I say warmed and fed, I, I don't, I mean, got pastors who weren't actually feeding people the word of God, but, but who were just pandering and just keeping keep people comfortable. And, 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 and so I, I too had many of those same things of, you know, I, I believe this is true, but there's got to be something better. And where that journey led me to was, was to become a much more convinced Baptist than I was. I, I grew up in a home that was generally Baptist and that my mom had grown up in, in a Baptist environment. But, but that journey led me um, to, to go back to the, to the historic Baptist convictions and principles that, that were there and to realize, no, like, this, this, it, like, where I come from, this, this is where I want to be. And, and, um, and so I'm a part of this movement of, of, uh, of guys who have gone back and, and have rediscovered the richness of, of the Baptist tradition. Uh, and and uh, that's a part of what I've tried to communicate a little bit of in these classes. 
But let's not talk about me here. Let's talk about EBC. Um, where is EBC at? And, and, and what about EBC's history specifically? So let's talk a little bit about our, our local church history. Emmanuel Baptist Church was formed in 1966. A group of people, including the pastor, uh, split off from the First Baptist Church here in town, which which no longer exists uh, as of as of this last year, as many of you know. Uh, First Baptist uh, was was a part of a a more what's described as a more moderate Baptist denomination, and some of the churches in that are actually quite liberal. Okay, so um, Emmanuel Baptist Church in Saskatoon is is really pushing their denomination to be fully accepting of homosexuality. And at this point, the rest of that denomination isn't there, um, but they're, they're, uh, there are numbers of churches in the denomination that are. Things were not near that liberal back in 1966, um, although in 1950, I think it was 58 or 59, that denomination first approved the ordination of women, and that bothered some people even in, in, in that church at that point. But the, the flash issue in 1966 was that they were using Sunday school curriculum that had been produced or approved by the World Council of Churches. So the World Council of Churches is kind of like um, the the I'm, I'm going to say something offensive here, so I'm not going to say that. But they're like the uh, the Avengers of liberalism. Okay, so it's like the the top heads of these churches that are thoroughly, completely liberal uh, and would would have nothing to do with with what we would consider to be the gospel. And so the the the. The people in, in, at First Baptist were concerned that they were using Sunday school curriculum that the World Council of Churches had put their rubber stamp on. And so the pastor, Sam Norbo, was actually, was actually a part of this. And, and so there was a number of, of meetings and a number of prayer meetings. And um, apparently, from, from the documents I've seen, the main argument on the other side of the people that wanted to keep using this, docu- these, this Sunday school curriculum was what? Can anyone guess what their argument was for continuing to use that Sunday school curriculum? You guys have like four seconds. It's the most common argument to do anything in Baptist churches. Sorry? We've always done it this way. Okay, and they say Baptists don't believe in tradition. Yeah, right. Okay, uh, but no, this is literally. I'm not just making this up. I've I've read read the documents. They said, well, we've always used it, and and yet you had these people saying, well, this isn't right. This isn't biblical. So so they split. A group of them, including the pastor, left. Although being Baptist, it was member driven. The members met. They. Desire, uh, a desire to form a new Baptist church. There you see Baptist ecclesiology, and that's that group of members covenanting together that forms the church. And then they called Sam Norbro to come be the pastor, right? So it wasn't the pastor leading everything. It was the people leading it. And it was their agreement together to be the church together that made them a church. And if you haven't been here, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago as we looked at what it means for a Baptist church to be a church. Um, it sounds like, from some things that I've read, that maybe that split wasn't handled very well. If the issue... There's always two things, right? There's, there's an issue, and there's how that issue is handled. And so I think the issue is probably clear, but the way that that issue is handled may not have been handled the best, and that's just indicated in some of the, some of the things that I've read. Um, it seems like, and I'm, I'm open to correction here, but it seems like those early years, like very early years in the late 60s, early 70s at EBC, 
had a little bit of a fundamentalist flavor to it. And, and one of the stories that, that makes me think of that is uh, I'm hearing about one prominent member who is very anti-drum and, and, and was, would loudly pronounce that drums had no place in the church and, and, and no good. And apparently that had quite an alienating effect on some of the youth who were quite pro-drum. And, and so that, that sound, I'm not saying they were fundamentalist church, but those are some of those maybe fundamentalist flavors that were there. Um, Emmanuel had some connections with revival and revivalism in the 1970s. Uh, Bill McLeod led a series of Deeper Life meetings at Emmanuel Baptist Church in 1974, which was connected to the broader revival that started in Saskatoon and, and, and had taken off across the, the West. And those of you who are familiar with that uh, area, uh, that, that movement and that time in history and, and the effects of it, know that it was a genuine mix of real revival and some pretty unfortunate revivalism. Okay, so as I've, as I've looked at and, and learned about the 1970s revival and have read things from people who were involved in it, did, did God do real revival? Yes. Did you have people trying to capture it in a bottle and make it happen everywhere else in exactly the same way, which I would say that's a revivalism? I think yes. And so, and so EBC had its, own, um, had its own connection with that. There seemed to be a shift in the 70s and 80s away from sort of the, the more harsher fundamentalist feel of the early years, but while still emphasizing biblical teaching. And, and when we come to, the, to the, the, let's say, the last 20 or so years of history here at EBC, um, I'm not the most qualified guy to speak about it, because some of you here have been around for, for large chunks of that time, and, and I have not. But what I work, I'm going to work off here is, is, is in 2016 or so, so about a year or so before I came here, the transitional pastor um, gathered a group of, of, of people here together uh, with a, 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 pad, a big pad of paper, and they, they, they did some kind of whiteboarding on, uh, talking about EBC's past and, and EBC's future. And so one of the things that he asked was, what are some things that we want to celebrate? And here's some of the things they wrote down. So again, I wasn't there, but I've seen, seen all these documents and, and I have copies of them all. So as, as, those, as that group of people in 2016 talked about what they were thankful for they, and what to celebrate, they pointed to 50 years of faithfulness, uh, 30 years of the Iwana program. That's been a big part of BBC's culture. And, and um, they talked about how people had come to faith throughout the years and, and just all of God's faithfulness. Uh, they talked about some of the strengths of, of Emmanuel Baptist Church in, in 2016 that they identified. And here's some of what they wrote down. Um, being Bible-based, doctrinally sound, the way that the church cared for, for each other, um, godly and strong leadership, long-term stability, and being a praying church. And those were some of the things that that group of Christians said, yeah, these are our, these are our strengths. Or not, not just that group of Christians, that group of people from EBC said, these are our strengths. Um, it was interesting, they also looked at what are some of our weaknesses. Uh, here's some of the things that, that they identified. Number one was, was a labor overload. Um, in other words, 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. Um, an over-reliance on the pastor, um, maybe leaning too much on one person. Um, there was a bit of an age gap in people between 18 and, and 25 that they identified. And connected with that um, was, was really a lack of successful youth ministry, one of the things that they identified. So again, I'm, I'm just 
kind of reading here what, what they had written down. Um, not drawing new people in, not, not being good at engaging people outside of, of sort of, we could say, the family circle. Um, not enough effort towards unbelievers and a lack of fellowship outside of Sundays. So what you see in, in 2016 is, is the people at EBC, and some of you were probably there at that meeting and wrote some of those things down, and, and uh, maybe it feels weird for you to hear me say some of these things, but, but as I sum that up, I see, I see a group of people who are thankful for their legacy, um, but were not, uh, were not so clueless that they thought that they had it all together. Um, and they were continuing to seek to grow as a biblical church. And I think, I, I think that that desire to say we want to build on our legacy, but we want to continue to grow, I, th- I think that that's continued in the last few years. And some of the things that, that I think in the last few years that, that we have continued to grow on would include um, team leadership, for example. So working with a team of, of elders um, and, and uh, as opposed to just one pastor, uh, but moving to a team of elders. Um, we've affirmed our commitment to biblical gender roles. That's something we've, we've done actually quite recently. This is now an, an important part of, of, of how we think of ourselves as a church, is we're committed to the Bible's teaching on gender roles. Um, we've sought to have our worship, our Sunday morning gatherings, be shaped by the Word of God entirely. So, so <clears throat> the, the, word, the word for that, or the phrase for that, not all of you might have heard of, is the, the regulative principle. It's the idea that God's Word regulates our worship. So we, we believe that we don't just say, oh, well, that seems like a good idea, let's do it. But no, what has God told us in His Word? And that's going to shape our, our gathered, our corporate worship. Um, expositional preaching, that, that, that we want to preach through the Bible, sermons that are completely shaped by the Bible, proclaiming the word and, and allowing the Bible um, to, and the Bible alone to be what is, is preached on Sunday mornings. Um, some of the other things we've grown in in the last few years include uh, leadership development at all levels. Think about mentoring and how there's all kinds of mentoring relationships going on beneath the surface here. Um, and and uh, think about internships and how, how those are ways that, that we've helped develop leaders. And, and, and you name it, you can add other things to this list. Um, we've been sharpening up lately our, our commitment to discipleship. That we want to be a church that's not built on programs, but that's built on people. And, and that the real work of discipleship is people helping other people learn Christ. And that we don't want to just uh, design really great programs that we kind of uh, have people go through. But we want to have people connect with people and be a church that's built on relationships. Uh, Ephesians 4, right? That the body speaking the truth in love to one another would build the church up in love. And, and I think one, in all of this, um, I think that we have seen that as, as was true in our past to the present day, we want to stand on the authority of God's word no matter what. If it costs us, that doesn't matter. That doesn't factor in. We don't say, well, this is what the Bible says, but if we do that, this might happen, so maybe we should find another course of action. We don't want to ever have any conversation that sounds even closely uh, close to that. We want to say, this is what God said. That's what we're going to do. And, end of discussion. Because um, any, as, as someone expressed it to me so well in a, in a, in a text of, of, a week or so ago, any time that we know what Jesus has said and yet we try to have another course of action, that is a recipe for disaster. It might short-term buy us some time. It might short-term placate some people. But long-term, 
long term, we're going to be like the churches in Revelation 1 and 2 and 3, where Jesus comes and says, what are you? I'm going to snuff out your lamp. And that's, that's not what we want. We want to be a church shaped by the living God through his spirit, which is, uh, which, um, let me start that sentence over. We want to be a church that is shaped by the living God through his word, empowered and applied by his spirit. And um, it's interesting, if you look in, in, in 1 Corinthians 3, um, the things of the Spirit that Paul talks about, you break down actually what he's saying. He's talking about the Word of God. The Word of God is how the Spirit speaks to us. And, and we need Him to empower and enable us to do that. Um, but it's the living God through His, through his living and active Word that, that's going to shape us as a church. So here we are today, and we're wrapping up this history class today, and, and I, I hope that we've seen that history matters. So we're, we're Baptists, we've just talked about our belief in the primacy of Scripture, but I hope we also see that, that because that's true, history does matter. History matters because it's, it's what? It's, it's his story. Now, that's maybe not what we think of and what we actually mean by the word all the time. But, but if, you actually, if, if you think of it in that, word, in that way, it's actually helpful. Because if God is sovereign over all things, we're going to reflect on that in the sermon this morning, that means history is his work, his doing. It's, it's, it's his accomplishment as he rules over his world and over his church. And so as we think about history over the past 2,000 years, this is a record of God's sovereignty and of Christ's power over his world and over his body. And so I hope that in these past weeks, you've been able to see and savor how we at Emmanuel Baptist Church today are a part of something so big. We're a part of something that goes back to the promises first given in the garden. We're a part of the people of God who stretch back through time and covenant back to Abraham. We're a part of the new covenant community that was birthed at Pentecost, built on Christ. We are recipients of the apostolic teaching of Jesus that, that's, that's given to us in the New Testament. We stand in line with the faithful many throughout the early centuries of the church who defined and defended the truth of Jesus often at the cost of their own life. And the faithful many who even through the dark ages of the, of the Middle Ages were, were faithful to, to the truth and were faithful to Jesus. We are Protestants. We are heirs to the great recovery of the Reformation. We gladly celebrate a salvation which is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone. We are Baptists. We celebrate the continued work of the Reformation in the Baptist movement. We're committed to being a people of the book. And we're committed to celebrating the priesthood of all believers. And and God's vision for a church as 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 a local assembly of the kingdom. An outpost of the kingdom of God. Of a group of believers, baptized believers in Jesus Christ who covenant together to be the body of Christ together. We are evangelicals. We are gospel people. We're committed to keeping the gospel at the center of our ministry. We we are committed to not ever assuming the gospel, but preaching the gospel, being explicit about what the gospel is, just like they did in the revivals of the 1700s and, and just like faithful evangelicals have done ever since. And we are 
Emmanuel Baptist Church. We are heirs to the faithful many who began this specific work here in Nipawin 57 years ago and have given so much of their time and life and efforts to its health and its care ever since. So as we've looked back through history, we've seen so many faithful men and women on whose shoulders we stand and, and, and let's make sure that, that we are standing on their shoulders, that we're standing on their team. Let's learn from them. Like I said, one of my our earlier early passions for church history and, and lessons about its importance was stirred up when, when I heard Albert Moeller say, go through church history, see who the good guys are, and stand with them. And that's part of what we've been hoping to do um, in, in, in these weeks together. And let's keep doing that. Let's Take from them the torch and carry it high into the future. But let's not assume that it's going to be easy to do that. Let's not assume it's going to be easy to do that. Back at, in 2016, there's that meeting that I talked about where they wrote down all those things. They talked about specifically how to honor the legacy of our history while going forward. Here's some of what they wrote down. They said we want to make sure we're waiting on the Lord. We want to love and care for one another. We want to preach the truth no matter what. We want to remain, remain faithful to God and his word in this body. We want to continue systematic Bible teaching. We want to be committed to being a body with everyone using their gifts. And we want to remember God's faithfulness. That sounds amazing, doesn't it? That sounds amazing. But it's a lot harder to carry that out in real life, isn't it? Than to just say it. Everyone says they want to stand on the truth until the truth starts stepping on their toes. Everyone says they want to be in a biblical church until that means that their preferences are getting challenged and things aren't quite going the way they want them to. Everyone wants to be biblical until someone else is more biblical than them. Everyone says they want to be faithful until the cost of faithfulness starts to feel just a little bit too high. And if we've learned anything from church history in these weeks, maybe particularly last week, it's that faithfulness is hard and possible. But faithfulness is faithfulness is possible just like flying a plane is possible. Okay? Flying a plane, you think how has it happened that that hunk of metal and with this engine and everything is actually going to make it make it through the sky? Well, it does. It it can. It's possible, but faithfulness is hard, just like flying a plane is hard. You have to work to keep it up. If you fall asleep, if you're not careful, if you let yourself run out of fuel, if you do a whole bunch more things that Nathan could tell us about, you will crash and burn and die. And so we should expect biblical faithfulness to be along the same lines. Possible, but challenging. Tough. We should expect this world... We should expect other people who go to church to exert incredible pressure on us to do things the easy way. We should expect the temptations to be way more sneaky than we might imagine at first. We should expect to need endurance, as the author of Hebrews says, as we seek to be the kind of church that Jesus wants us to be. We should expect it to be tough. And this is where I think as as pressures are growing on us from the culture around us, that that this is actually bringing us back more to a place where Christians have been for most of history, 
Think of the book of Hebrews where being a Christian meant accepting the plundering of your property and maybe even the loss of your life. And, and that, that, that is something that we embrace for the sake of Jesus. Although truthfully, in my years of being a Christian, being a pastor, most of the hardship I've endured has come from other people who go to church and call themselves Christians, not the world. We're all worried about Justin Trudeau shutting us down. Honestly, I'm more worried about people who say they're Christians and go to church causing problems, because that's practically what what we've experienced more. Isn't it true that that Jesus uh, was killed by the religious people, uh, and it was them who then set up... Pilate didn't, the, 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 the political authorities weren't the first problem. It was the religious people. And, and so it's true in, in our day. I think the greatest challenges to faithfulness, uh, we're expecting them to come from outside of the church. We may find that they actually come from inside churches. So it's going to be tough, but we should expect it to be possible. Not only do we have Christ's word, not only do we have his promise to build his church and to be with us, but we've got a history. We've got a legacy. If you think about the history of the church, if you go back and you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, how hard has Satan tried over the past 2,000 years to stomp out the church? How hard has Satan tried to make people be unfaithful to Jesus? And he's been successful sometimes, but not all the way through. Look at us, still standing here today, standing on the shoulders of faithful men and women, many of whom gave their lives for, for, for the Lord and for his faithfulness, to be faithful to him. Many faithful men and women, a legacy, who rejected, their, rejected temptation and stood strong. And so here we are. This is our moment. This is our moment in history. Every, every second that goes by is a second that's slipping into history. Church history continues up to the present day. And here we are. You are a part of history now. And if you're here this morning, in some respect, you are a part of the history of Emmanuel Baptist Church. So let's ask a a very important question. What will keep Emmanuel Baptist Church faithful for the next 50 years? It's been 57. Think about the next 50. You know that many churches, many denominations have a a lifespan of faithfulness of typically less than, than 100 years before they either collapse or, or go liberal and compromise. What will keep Emmanuel Baptist Church faithful for the next 50 years? I asked a group of guys at, at, in a men's group I led at my former church what was going to keep us faithful for the next 50 years. And what they started doing was tallying up all the ages of the pastors and figuring out who could still be alive in 50 years. And I said, guys, no, you got it all wrong. It's you. It's you. It's, 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 it's up to you whether we stay faithful or not. It's up to you whether we collapse into, into liberalism or let feelism and, and a desire to be nice rule everything we do instead of the word of God or whether we turn into cranky fundamentalists and tear each other apart by arguing about everything, or whether we stop engaging with unbelievers and, and stop discipling our kids and just slowly shrivel up and die of attrition, or whether we continue to march under the banner of Jesus who said, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, and I'm with you always to the end of the age. It's up, it's up to us, the people of Emmanuel Baptist Church. So my summons to you at the, end of this, at the end of this class on church history, and just so you know, it looks like we are going to have about three to five minutes for questions, but I encourage you to grab a trowel and grab a sword. And, and that, that language is coming from the book of Nehemiah. Um, now, I don't think our wall is broken down here. I'm not necessarily saying that. But what I'm encouraging you is be ready to build and be ready to fight. 
Be ready to join in the work of of building up the body of Christ and be ready to fight against those who would want to stop us from doing that. And I don't mean people there. You know who I'm talking about. Um, Get involved. Join the covenant community. I hope that this... this, this, understanding of, 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 of how a Baptist church works is maybe help this word membership not be quite so scary, but to actually realize, no, this is just this is just ground level how the church works. Get involved. Join the covenant community. Don't be just a church critic or a church observer, but actually be a part of the church. And look for how God can use you as a part of this church. And, and I hope you see that that's not just a question of what programs can you help out with. Well, is there a spot for me here? Or no, they've got all the workers they need at Awana and they've got this and so I guess there's nothing for me to do. No, no, the church is not the sum total of our programs. The church is the sum total of our people. So if you look around this room, even right now, but maybe especially later on, you're going to see a whole bunch of opportunities for you to do ministry. People that you can walk over and ask how their week was and ask how you can pray for them and, and people that you can get together with at Tim Hortons and read the Bible with and, and people that you can, uh, you can start to invest in and kids that you can, that you can pray for. And, and the, the ministry opportunities are as endless as the people here are, are endless. And uh, think about the caring for one another class that, we, that, that Jordan just led us through, applying the truths that we learned in that class Um, building relationships with each other, caring for one another, speaking the truth in love, and building up the body of Christ together so that we grow into maturity together. This This is how we will be faithful for the next 50 years and beyond. Will it be difficult? Will it be, will we get to moments that are harder than any of us imagined? Yeah, I mean, some of us have, have tasted that, maybe even recently. But is it possible course it is and and history is a record of that and and so i want to encourage you to take your place in history and whether it's at emmanuel baptist or whatever church that you're going to go be a part of i think of students is and 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 the other places god might bring some of you um let's be faithful let's keep the plane aloft and and we can trust that that jesus is still with us because the end of the age hasn't come yet so, uh, we did it. We made it through today's material, and uh, I hope I still have a voice for preaching, but do any of you want to ask any questions? Uh, well, we're going to pray at the end here, but do any of you want to ask any questions about anything from the past six weeks that you didn't have time to because we went over time every week? Uh, now, now's your chance. Curtis. Historically speaking, how the church led away from the sufficiency and inerrancy of Scripture towards liberalism? Um, and that's number one. And number two, kind of playing off that, um, are there other doctrines that you can foresee uh, currently that um, our society and church might have to deal with, specifically regarding doctrine? Yeah, so how has the church been led away from the inerrancy and sufficiency of Scripture? Um, so there, there's that, that joke I, I told last week, um, an evangelical, someone who says to a liberal, I'll call you a, a Christian if you call me a scholar. And, and, and the idea is that um, Satan has, has been doing from the beginning, Satan's been doing all along what he did at the beginning. Did God really say it? And, and asking questions that make us go, oh, well, maybe, oh. And, and make, just like sort of making Eve feel a little bit silly for like, you won't surely die. Like, come on. Come
have on. That, that general approach <clears throat> has taken different forms in every generation since then, but that's how. So uh, for, uh, for, a certain, uh, for a certain season, um, it was, it was the, the, the scientific stuff, for example. Like, come on, we all know the world's billions of years old. We all know we evolved from monkeys. Like, you can't seriously believe the Bible's true, right? So it was, it was maybe that tactic. Um, in more recent decades, it's been more the moral stuff. Like, come on, you worship a God who would command the, all the people of Canaan to be slaughtered and killed? Like, you really believe that? Come on. So it, it shifts in different, in different generations. Um, and, and I think one of the big ones these days, and this gets into your second question, is, is sexuality, homosexuality, things like that. Like, come on, people are born that way. People want to love the way they love. Like, you seriously think that's wrong to, to stop people from doing that? And so I think, I think in each generation and each decade, we can look at specific ways that, that Satan tries to make Christians feel uh, silly and embarrassed and like... Uh, they're they're the the dumb ones for for believing what God's word has said, and uh, and often it it comes with emotional intimidation almost more than than intellectual intimidation. In fact, it, it almost always starts there, uh, bef- long before the arguments get strong. The emotions are, are are pretty strong. So so those are some of the things. So I just think we just have to look at what's our world celebrating. How are they going to try and make us feel dumb for holding the sufficiency of Scripture? Uh, embarrassed of God's truth. And so, yeah, I think that touches on some of the things in our generation. I think gender and sexuality are big ones in and outside of the church. Um, and I think we see the pattern that, that when, when churches go soft on gender. So think of the, the, the denomination that, that we came out of back in the 60s. In the late 50s, it was women's ordination. Today, uh, it's 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 much more uh, what we would say significant issues. Uh, now, that denomination is still holding the line, but but it's it's gotten pretty bad and um and so uh and so one thing leads to another and so i think i think sexuality and gender these days morals are the big one um let, letting letting the and it goes back to the garden where satan sets the agenda and then tries to put us on the defensive instead of us saying hey wait a second who are you who are you to question this? What's your like? What do you have a better answer? Um, why should I listen to you instead of God? Uh, by what standard? You know, and, and those kinds of things. Yeah, Jason. And I just add to that. Uh, like spiritual warfare is, is offensive and defensive, and the offensive comes from the Word of God, and the collective literacy of the congregation helps so much to so. Like, the pastor, we've heard Chris say, you know, his goal is to equip us for ministry. And, and as we're equipping ourselves for ministry, we're together standing against uh, untruths. And, yeah, so. That's right. I think, so well, let's end here. Any time that God's people get ignorant of what the Bible actually says, they're vulnerable to any kind of temptation. I think that's one of the, one of the massive problems uh, in many evangelical churches these days is that people have no clue what the Bible actually says. And, and so they're, they're, they're completely illiterate as to what the Bible says, which means that when a guy stands up in the pulpit and says, we're going to do this because it's biblical, they don't actually have a reference point to know whether that's true or not. And so if they like it, they go along with it. If they don't like it, they think that he's just some guy pushing his agenda and they, and they fight against him, even if what he's doing is biblical because they don't know. 
Uh, and so this was this what I've just described is something that, that a friend of mine helped me just wrap my head around recently is the, the breakdown in biblical literacy has created a breakdown in trust in many churches because uh, a pastor or leader might be being very biblical, but if we don't know what the Bible says, then we just think it's him pushing his agenda and we fight against it and there's this breakdown in trust. And so I think that uh, being literate of what the Bible actually says is so, so incredibly important. Um, and, then, and then understanding that, uh, that yeah, any, any doctrine um, can be can be used as an angle of attack or as something that we can stand in and celebrate. But we've got to know the truth for ourselves so that when Satan says, did God really say? We can say, yeah, actually he did. Actually he did. And here's what he meant by it. And go away. Because uh, I'm, I'm, I have... I'm talking like Adam here to the snake, right? I have dominion over you. I have in charge to protect this garden. I'm going to stomp on your head. You know who should have been the original serpent crusher? It should have been Adam. <laughs> that was, wasn't a good... Uh, head crushing sound that I just made, but anyways, I don't want to be too too gross. Uh, should have been Adam, and uh, and the God of peace will soon crush Satan under our feet. Which maybe that's in a different context, but but we need. Uh, here's what we need to do: we need to stand, right? Ephesians six. We 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 need to stand against the attacks of Satan with the, the shield of faith, belief, faith in God, and the sword of the Spirit. Um, and that's not up to me or any other person who's going to be in this pulpit. It's up to us. Uh, we ought to be done. Um, but man, let's keep the conversation going. If you if you want to email me or call me or go for coffee, uh, actually, probably not the latter one because I only have a week left before I go on sabbatical. So uh, when I get back, let's 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 do that, uh, and we'll spend all the time we can. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thank you for history. Thank you for what we've learned in these weeks, what we've been reminded of, what we've been able to celebrate. Father, I pray that you would help us to take our place in the line of the faithful many that stretch back through the ages, all the way back to the faith that Adam and Eve would have first held in the Garden of Eden, that a a Savior is coming. And we're still in many ways waiting for that promise to be finally realized today. Would you help us to take up our armor and to take up our place in the long line of the faithful as we await your return. Come, Lord Jesus. We ask this in his name and for his sake. Amen.